Good morning. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, guys. These are true servants, aren't they? How's everybody doing today? Are you alive? Are you awake? Did you come believing? Did you come believing? Do you think you're going to hear God today? Because if you don't think it, you're not going to. But if you do think it, you are going to. Right now, in Jesus' name, I rebuke that bad attitude in the church. I rebuke it right now in Jesus' name. Bad attitude. Let's go. I got so much to say to you today. Uh, I got to start talking. A lot to say. Let's pray this right here. Father God, anoint what I have to say today. Anoint it. Anoint it. Drive it home. Speak to us. In Jesus' name, and everybody say amen. amen. I'm doing two things today, two things. I did it uh, a week ago. I'm doing it again. Our schedule's all messed up. I'm supposed to be in Las Vegas speaking next week, and I thought it was, anyway, it's all messed up, so I'm doing second and third service again today. And uh, you're in the middle of a Bible study with me, but when I'm doing third, they're not. So I'm going to try to do two things real quickly. First of all, I'm going to give you a book review. This week I was on Amazon and I saw this book advertised called The Biology of Belief by Bruce Lipton. And it intrigued me. It got my curiosity up and I ordered it. And I'm going to give you a description of the book. In this book, Lipton, a former medical school professor and research scientist, explores his own experiences and experiments and those of other leading-edge scientists that have unraveled in ever greater detail how truly connected the mind, body, and spirit are. It is the now recognized, it is now recognized that our genes and our DNA do not control our biology. Instead, they're controlled by signals from the outside, outside of the cell, including energetic messages emanating from our thoughts. In this book, he talks about that if we change the way we believe, we can change everything else in our life. This is not a Christian book. It's surely a scientific book. But he does comment in there that we're made in the image of God. I think this guy's on his way to becoming a Christian. Now, if you take what he says in this book and even add to it Masaru Emoto, the Japanese researcher that I've talked about quite a bit. He has done experiments, and he's found out that words, thoughts, ideas, and music affects the molecular structure of water. He has done experiments. He freezes water by, while certain kinds of music is on. He freezes water when people are yelling and shouting, and then he freezes water when good music is playing. And he's found out that certain crystals were formed in the water, ugly crystals and beautiful crystals from the things that are emanating from the outside. And then he goes on to say, you have to realize that over 70% of the human body is comprised of water. That's basically the same idea. What I'm proposing to you today is that even our scientific world is starting to catch up with the Bible. They're starting to catch up with where we're at. 
It's like they're climbing this, this mountain of knowledge and wisdom, and they're climbing and they're sweating, and they get to the top, and we're sitting up there with a Christian flag. We've been there the whole time. It's like the blind men trying to explain an elephant. They each have a piece of the puzzle, but only Jesus has the whole picture. Now, let me share with you a few things about this book. Uh, it deals, again, with things from a scientific perspective. It says that it's been proven that if we believe something from the heart level, it changes our DNA. It changes our cellular structure. Our bodies line up with what we believe to be true. Now, I'm going to bring this around to the Christian perspective. Don't, don't leave now and say, Pastor Ron teaches mind over matter. People do this to me quite often. They'll write me an email. I can't believe what you taught, Sunday. I mean, you said, did, 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 did. I'll say, did you listen to the sermon? Nope, my friend told me about it. <laughs> Give me a break. Listen all the way through and, and hear what I have to say. I've noticed for years, and I've said it before, people that come up to me in prayer lines through the years, I mean, people who come up and say, I know that I know that I know that I know if you pray for me, I'm getting healed. I know God. And it's not coming from the head. It's coming from down here. There's a big difference, huge difference. They've heard God. They've been in the throne room with God. And they go, I know if you pray for me, I'll get healed. Or if somebody else prays for me, not just my prayers, anybody. You get that I'm not emphasizing myself and my prayers. But it's their faith that has made them well. And Jesus would say to them, your faith has made you well. I've never seen one person yet hardly denied that says that from the heart, like the lady with the issue of the blood. I know that if I grab a hold of the hymn of Jesus, I'll be healed. I know it. Now, placebos work in the medical field, and it's driving the pharmaceutical companies crazy. They don't like it because placebo, what's a placebo? It's a sugar pill. There are people that are getting well from a sugar pill because they think the pill is helping them, and their mind facilitates that. Now, listen to me. In this book and another book I'm going to recommend for you in a moment, it talks about how the pharmaceutical companies are taking us for a ride and how they want to eliminate a lot of placebo experiments even because they don't want that to be known. If the pharma, a lot of the pharmaceutical companies, if they know that something might work out there that isn't related to their problem, they're going to start doing tests and experiments to prove that's wrong. It's, it's a big field. It's a big, big greed thing. It's a big money thing. You have to be so careful. That reminds me of another book that I read, and I believe every person that has cancer or knows anybody that has cancer must read this book. It's by Suzanne Summers called Knockout. And in this book, I mean, she interviews doctor after doctor after doctor. And in this book, she shows us that a lot of cancer and disease can be healed and helped with supplements, minerals, diets, changing the way we believe, managing our stress. In this book, she interviews Dr. Nicholas Gonzalez, who says chemotherapy only helps three kinds of cancers, no more. 
but it's being prescribed to us. I think this book is a must for everyone to read. If you've had cancer or know anybody that has had cancer. Now, all of this is biblical. Listen to Ezekiel 47, 12. By the river on its bank, on one side and the other, will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, and their fruit will not fail. They will bear every month because their water flows from the sanctuary, and their fruit will be for food, and their leaves will be for what? The leaves will be for healing. This has a lot to do with herbs and all this stuff. Look at Revelation 22 and 2. In the middle of the street on either side of the river was a tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Look at 1 Timothy 5, 23. No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. What is wine? It's a natural product. Look at Isaiah 38, 21. Now Isaiah said to him, take a cake, cake of figs and apply it to the boil or the cancer and you'll recover. There are things out there and we must not let the pharmaceutical companies sell us chemicals that are killing us all the time. Some of them are good. I'm not saying all of them aren't. I'm not saying all pharmaceutical companies are bad, but the industry is really, really suspicious. I'm here today to tell you we got all kinds of doctors in our church. My doctors, they help me. They are my coaches. They are my mentors. They help me. When I'm sick, I go to them, and we work together as a team. And so I like to hear from people that have actually been down the road. How about you? I don't want a little skinny 90-pound weakling coming into the gym to train me. No, thank you. I don't want to look like that. I want to hear from people that have been there and done that. Now, the author of the book, The Biology of Belief, goes on to mention three things I'd like to comment on, and I'm going to go rather quick today. Number one, he talks about the power of negative opinions. And he says, uh, he says that some of our doctors aren't thinking. They, they just throw it out there. You're going to live six months. You're going to live three months. If I was a doctor, I would not do that. I'd say, you know, statistics say that possibly you don't, but, but boy, statistics can lie. I would tell him differently. He uses the example in his book, and he uses a term called nocebo, not, plus, not uh, placebo, but nocebo. And he said that's the opposite of a placebo. It's you believe in the negative, and the negative affects the way you feel. The placebo, you think in the positive, it affects the way you feel. And he uses an example, in 1974, Sam Londe, a retired shoe salesman, was suffering from cancer of the esophagus, a condition at that time that was 100% fatal. And he went in, was told he had a little while to live, and in just a few months, he did die. They did an autopsy on his body and found that he had zero esophagus cancer. He had such little cancer in his body that he could not have possibly died of it. He had two spots on a liver and one spot on his lungs. And they said he did not die of cancer. He died with cancer. But he was told he was going to die. I'm, I'm sure that's not true in all cases or even the majority, but it was in this one. I am not saying what this author is saying. I'm not saying that positive confession will heal you, that thoughts alone will heal you or kill you. 
I'm just saying the way you think and the way you believe has a huge impact on your health. It has a huge impact on the way you see yourself and the things you're going to get in life. Now, the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Can I say that again? As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What was God trying to tell us? When he said to people, let it be to you according to your faith. What did he mean when he said, your faith has made you well? He didn't say precisely God has made you well. He said, your faith has made you well. If you believe, he said, all things are possible. If you believe, someone as well said, your beliefs become your thoughts. Your thoughts become your words. Your words become your actions. Your actions become your habits. And your habits become your values. And your values become your destiny. What you believe, this author says, releases chemicals that when secreted in your blood control the faith of your trillions of cells in your body. Now, I am not saying that you can always think yourself well. Again, don't hear me say that. Number two, he talks about the damage of worry and stress and what it does to the body. Does not the Bible say the same? The Bible says we're commanded not to worry because God loves us. Do not worry. Cast all your cares on me because I care for you. God says we're not to think about worrisome things. We're to think about things that are pure and lovely and good review. We're supposed to dwell, have our mind dwell on those things. He uses the illustration of a track runner in his book, Sprinters, in, in fact. And he says, when the announcer says, get on your mark, the runners adjust their feet into the starting blocks. Then the announcer says, get set, and the muscles automatically tighten up, and the runners get on their fingers and get on their toes, and this adrenaline is released into the body for the race that's about to begin. They said, what happens if they never hear the command, go? It's just get on your mark, get set, get set, get set. He said, it won't be long until the runner collapses. They'll collapse, hello. With the adrenaline coursing through their blood, they're going to crash and burn. The Bible again says, cast all your cares on the Lord. The Bible says, do not carry them. They will harm you. Get rid of them. Someone uh, said the other day, I heard it said somewhere, they said, we have a hard time being happy because we refuse to let go of the things that make us sad. Can I say that again? We have a hard time being happy because we refuse to let go of the things that make us sad. I'm telling you today, there's a rhema. Some of you ought to come to this altar before you leave this building today and take care of business. I, I hurt for some of you. I bleed for some of you because you've lost loved ones and you've been grieving for a year, two, or three, but it's time to lay the grief aside. It's time to start living again. It's time to give your loved one to God. Let him have them. Is anybody hearing me out there on the internet or in the building? It's time to bring your burdens to the altar and let God have them and choose to believe with simple, simple childlike faith that he's going to take them. Bring your regrets. 
Anybody in the house have regrets? Bring your regrets and lay them down. Some of you have done stupid things to mess up your lives. Get over it. It is what it is. Lay it at the altar today and totally be done with it. Next, he talks about the power of the subconscious mind, how the subconscious mind rules in your life. It rules. You don't even know it, but it rules. He uses the illustration of when we first learned to drive a car, what did we do? We got in, our conscious mind was at work. Oh, I got I to gotta watch my speedometer. I've got to watch my rearview mirrors, and I got to make sure I'm seat belted in. And our conscious mind was working. But years later, we've learned that so well that we go on autopilot. We can go down the road talking on a phone conversation, daydreaming, and the car kind of drives its own self. Now, I'm here to tell you today that we need to program our subconscious mind with the Word of God by meditation, by devotions, by speaking it, by memorizing it. The psalmist says, the word of the Lord have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Where did he hide it? In his heart. He hid it in his subconscious mind. I'm telling you, if you believe the Bible says from your heart. Now, again, you cannot underestimate what I'm saying. You've got to believe from your heart. Belief in your head's not going to do it. How do you believe from your heart? You have to hear God. When I was dying of leukemia, God said three times, you will not die. And he gave me a miracle to back that up. I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew I couldn't die. I got another cancer sometime back, and it was doing funny things. And again, I heard from God, and he said, you will not die. And he did it in miraculous ways. I know that I know that I know that I know. That's what I'm referring to today. If you believe in your heart, all kinds of things are possible. Choose to believe every word that Jesus says in the Bible. Every word the Bible says, whether it's Jesus, God, uh, Paul, or Peter, or whoever, it'll totally change your life. Now, even science agrees with us. What you believe to be true can affect your body, it can affect your health. It can affect your future, your finances, your aging process. He even has a story about aging in here, experiment they did with aging. And how they took these men through this, this series of events over three days period of time. When they came out, they were walking without a limp. Some of them were. They were everything, it got to their mind. Now look at Mark 11, 22, 24. It says, and Jesus answers saying to them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says this mountain be taken up and cast in the sea and does not doubt in his heart, does not doubt in his heart, where? Not in his mind, his heart, there's a difference. And he does not doubt in his heart, but he fully believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. This is the word of God. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe with your whole heart that you've received them and they'll be granted to you. Read the same verses in the Message Bible. Jesus was matter of fact. Embrace this God life. Really embrace it and nothing will be too much for you. This mountain, for instance, just say, go jump on the lake. No shuffling or hemming and hawing, and it's as good as done. That's why I urge you to pray for absolutely everything. 
ranging from small to large, including everything as you embrace this God life, and you'll get God's everything. I like that. Again, it's like blind men trying to describe an elephant in the room. Now, let me leave you these three things, and I'm going to get to our Bible study real quickly. Number one, the Holy Spirit gives us power to believe. Mind over matter will only take you so far. Positive confession alone will not produce what you want it to produce. But when you start saying what Jesus says, when you start quoting the Word of God, when life tells you you're too old, but Jesus and the Word of God says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When the world starts telling you I'm too dumb and inadequate, when you start quoting, but I have the mind of Christ. When the world starts telling you you're dying, but you say, I have life in Christ Jesus, and besides, Jesus said, I will never die. When the world says you're poor, you start quoting, but I have the riches of Christ. That's my book review for this morning. I just wanted to pass that on to you. I think it's pretty cool when the scientific world is starting to catch up with us. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do not believe that positive confession will do diddly without Jesus. But in Christ, I think it will. If you start repeating what he has said to you, it'll create dynamics in your life. Now let's go back, and I want to go back to Peter, and I'll be quick. I'm watching the clock. First Peter chapter 2 continued. Now, have you noticed that Peter, in our, our text over the last few weeks, he keeps using the word precious. Why does that not sound right to me from a commercial fisherman, precious? I'm a guy. I don't use the word precious, but Peter did. And you guys out there, quit sending me little red hearts when I say something. Guys, don't do that. <laughs> that annoys the daylights out of me. I say something, a man sends me a little red heart. Boom, boom, boom. I go, you're a guy. You're not a little girl. So don't ever send me a red heart when you agree. Send me a thumbs up. That's a guy thing. Look at verse 9 and 10. I'll be quick. But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now listen to me closely. We are God's possession. Do you understand that you belong to God? Do you understand the deal you made when you got saved? You said, God, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours, and everything you have is mine. Let's look at the Greek definition of possession. In, in the Greek, it says, to hold in one's hand, to have in our possession power, control, and property. Do you understand? Your house belongs to God. Your car belongs to God. Your family belongs to God. Your body belongs to God. How many times have I told God lately, if you want me to continue to preach, then you got you to keep your body well. This body's on loan to me. This is your body. It's not mine. I can keep preaching as long as it is well. Uh, you are God's. The Bible 
refers to us as slaves of God, servants of God, children of God. We're part of God's family. Now, let let that permeate in your mind. Let, Let that get to your heart that you are God's family. I mean, think about that. You see non-believers say, well, I'll go ask my father about it. Who's your father? God. God Almighty who created the heavens and the earth. That's my dad. I'll go talk to him about it. Now, it says we're the possession of God. In another sense, this could be just the opposite of someone demon-possessed. We're God-possessed. Now, in Mark 5, there's a story of a man demon-possessed. Look at Mark 5, 1 and 2. They came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. Now in Luke, it says a man possessed with demons met him. Now, look at verse number 3. And he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. He liked to live among the tombs. Why? Because the spirit he's possessed with caused him to want to go to those places of darkness. It was motivating him and influencing him to go there. Now, do you know, because you're possessed with Christ, that's one of the reasons you're here today. The spirit of God that you're possessed with caused you to want to come here. This is not natural to want to come here. It's God causing you to come. Jump down to verse 5. Constantly, day and night, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Now, here we're told he was doing some weird things because of the spirit that possessed him. How are you going to know you're possessed by Christ? By the world's standards, you'll do some weird things. They won't understand you. Look at verse 7 through 9. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. I've had the demon Largus identify himself. I've had uh, Adam identify himself. I've had Paul, the washing machine, identify himself. I've had all kinds of demons identify themselves during deliverances. Look at verse 13. And it says, Jesus gave them permission, and coming out of the, coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Remember that story up at Old Oak Ranch when I told the demons they could go in the horse on the hill? I was having a hard time in a deliverance, and I said, you can go up in the horse, go, go into the horse on the hill, I'll give you permission. And that person I was delivering, their eyes went up into their head, and all you could see was the whites of their eyes. And finally, they came back, and they said, there is no horse on that hill. As you liar, you can go into the horse on the hill, I'm giving you one more chance. The eyes rolled up into the head. All I could see was the whites. After a while, they came back, said, there is no horse on the hill. I didn't find out till after the deliverance that night that they'd taken the horse off the hill for the first time in three years. They had removed it because some kids were messing with it. And that spirit had traveled up there and back. And I thought, well, I'll just let him go on the horse on the hill. And then I got a gun in my car. I'll shoot the horse in the morning. 
Now, now, mind you, when I was doing this, I was 28 years old or 29, and the guys around me were doctors of theology, everything. And they were letting me run the show because they didn't have any experience with this kind of thing. Now, in Mark 3.22, the scribes and the Pharisees say this. They came down from Jerusalem, and they were saying, Jesus is possessed by Bezalel. And he casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. Now, they knew that Jesus had to have some kind of internal power to be doing what he was doing. He could not do the things he was doing if he didn't have some kind of power within him. So they just said, it's demonic power. Now, look at verse 23. And he called them to himself, and he began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? Now, Again, if we're possessed by God, we'll be doing some of these same things that Jesus did. I'm going to ask you the question I think I asked you two weeks ago, but I want to personalize it. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you? How about, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Are you getting acquainted with him? He lives inside of you. He's going to be talking to you. He's going to be convicting you. He's going to be sharing things with you. He's going to be putting desires in your heart that were not there before he came. I'm telling you, it's important to get acquainted with the Holy Spirit. If you don't, you're really going to miss a lot of things. Now, If you do, you will look odd to people around you. I want you to to try something. Today or tomorrow, I want you to get up and think of three people. And I want to ask you to do this. Say, Holy Spirit, as I think about these three people, put a desire in my heart to pray something specific for them. Just try it. Practice. Say, Holy Spirit. Tell me how to pray for these three people. Put their name down, and whatever comes to your mind after a while, write it out, pray it out, and then share it with them. And you're on your way, I'm telling you. You got to practice. Do like I do. Quite often, I'll go to God, and I'll say, God, search me and show me anything in me that's not pleasing to you. I prayed this just three days ago. I pray it usually three times a week. Anything that's displeasing to you, show me, Holy Spirit, so I can deal with it. And you know what? Usually he does. So you've got to practice getting to know the Holy Spirit. It says also here that we're priests of the Most High God. What does a priest do? He goes before God and represents the people, and he comes back to the people and represents God. Now, in the Old Testament, the priest did this for people that didn't have access to God. He would go in to the Holy of Holies, and present them to God. He'd come out and present God to them. Now, I think we're able to do this for people that don't know God. I think it's a very unique way to share the love of God. Uh, We go to our neighbors. I was in prayer before my father today, and I felt God lay a conviction on my heart to start praying for your marriage. Can I do that? Is that all right with you? Usually they'll say, okay. Or I was in prayer today talking to my father, and I had this desire to pray for your peptic ulcer. Can I start praying for it? I want to ask God to help you with it. 
I want to start praying for your husband's job, for, for your finances, for your marriage. Now, once they start seeing the power of this prayer, it's going to change their life. Hey, Ron, what? Guess what? My husband got a raise. Oh, I was praying. Hey, Ron, guess what? The doctor gave me some medication for my peptic ulcer, and it's getting better. Woo! I've been praying for you. See, the Bible says the kindness of God leads to repentance. The word repentance means a change of mind. When people see the love of God and the kindness of God, they're going to ask you, what time does church start Sunday morning? I think I might want to go. Now, I'm going to give you a rhema. Don't try to scare people in the kingdom of God. I bought another book a few weeks ago, and this book has sold millions of copies, millions, or over a million at least, I know. And the title's on Angels and Demons. This lady in the book says she's had visions. She's went to hell. She's went to heaven. And she has all these visions of these demons. And they're like gigantic spiders, like hissing cockroaches. Some of them are creatures with tails and fangs, and they crawl all over, and they hiss, and they growl. And I go, wait a minute. Demons are fallen angels. I've never seen an angel become a cockroach. I've never seen an angel become a hissing thing with tails and fangs. God forgive me if I'm wrong, but that doesn't seem to make sense. Sometimes we're so gullible. We have to be careful. Win people with the love of Christ, not the threats, not the condemnation, not the hell and fire and brimstone. But that's what Paul did. Did you know Paul, as far as I know, never ministered one time anywhere he went on the fear of hell? I don't think he even brought it up in a sermon. He talked about the power of God. He talked about the love of God. He talked about God's ability to save you and make you into a different person. Now, next it says we're to be a holy nation. But Ron, a holy nation, he's talking to Jews there. No, he isn't. He's talking to us. No, he's talking to Jews when he says be a holy nation. Then if he's talking to Jews there, he's talking to the Jews through the whole book, and you might as well rip it out of your Bible. We're to be a holy nation. God stresses holiness all throughout the Bible. See, there's a lot of power in abstinence. Look at verse 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain. Abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. There's a lot of power. There's a lot of ministry in abstinence. It starts a lot of conversations. Example, why don't you go to the movies with me anymore? Well, because... You know, some of the movies we were going to, it created bad thoughts in my mind, and those thoughts weren't good for my spiritual life. And I prayed one day, and I felt like the Father told me I probably shouldn't go to those if I want to live a mature Christian life. Wow. Why don't you go to the clubs anymore? Uh, Why did you break off that relationship with that person? Why aren't you going to all the Vegas shows with us every weekend? Why aren't you drinking with us and bar hopping anymore? And you tell them the reason because I really want that good life that God has for me. And those things interfere with it. And that creates a lot of conversation. 
Now, if you don't have a list of a lot of things you're abstaining from for the sake of your relationship with Christ and your fellowship with him, then you don't know the first thing about what being a Christian is. You're going to have a list of things that you abstain from so that you can live for God in a better way. Now, we don't want to major on the do-nots, but there's a place for them in our walk with God. In reality, holiness emphasizes what we can do because of what we don't do. Look at verse 13, 15, and I'm almost through, and you're going to be on your way home. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now I want you to know something, that at the time that, that, that Peter wrote these words, there was not one single king that was professing Christianity. He says to his readers, respect your leaders. Make the best out of the situation you're in. See, so often we try to pray the bad situations away instead of making the best of them. The Trump people in the last election, they refused to believe Trump didn't win that election. And they kept going on the internet saying, he won, he won, just wait and see, he won. Instead of accepting it for what it was and praying for Biden. And as a result of these people that kept pushing that Trump was still going to be president, they really lost a lot of credibility. And it really affected the church. I just wonder how many of us in this building today have been praying for President Biden. I just wonder. I will admit to you, I don't pray for him like I should. I should pray every week for him, and I'm not doing it, and this sermon has really convicted me. Think of President Biden got, Biden got fully surrendered to Christ, I mean filled with the Holy Spirit, started calling prayer meetings at the White House, got on TV and asked our nation to begin to repent of their sins. Think if he really got turned on for God. We're supposed to pray for these leaders, but then let's keep it in biblical context. Exegete everything. Uh, the spirit of this passage right here just says, respect the people in authority and cause the world to see that you're not rebels. But obviously, if you're asked to do something that God has not instructed you to do, if you're asked to do something that goes against God's will, then you have to rebel. When the government asked us to close church services for a certain season, I think it was two months, we complied. We want to be respectful. We comply. We understand. But then when they ask for more and more and more, we go, no mas. We're opening back up. We are told to not forsake assembling together. And so the government has no right to tell us that we have to stop. We tried to respectfully do what you've asked us to do. But now it's going too far. Look at verse 16, and I'm through. Act as free men, but do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Did you know about your freedom in Christ? Let me tell you, do you know all your sins have already been forgiven? Your past, your present, your future, they're all gone. Jesus took your sins to the cross on Calvary. And he was crucified for your sins. If you went to heaven today and St. Peter said, why should I let you in? You say, well, you really shouldn't on my own merits, I know, but see Jesus over there? 
He took my sins. I don't even have them. And he got in. He took my sins. Your sins are already forgiven. You're a child of God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Your sins are gone. You're free. And you're free from the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law was for Old Testament people. We're in a brand new covenant. We don't have to kill pigeons and goats. We don't have to eat certain kinds of foods and not eat certain kinds of foods. We don't have to dress certain ways. Uh, God doesn't care what day we worship on. Uh, there's no fruit tree laws anymore. Uh, men, you can cut your sideburns. It's okay. You can get a tattoo. It's okay. We're not under the law. But although our sins are all gone, you still have certain laws and commandments that you'd be wise to keep. That doesn't mean you should misuse your freedom because there's so and reap law out there. Sin is a package deal. When you sin, even though your sins are forgiven, it's a package deal. Here's the package of sin. 10% of it is pleasurable, or maybe 5, 95% is bad stuff. I'm smart enough not to take that package. So even though my sins are forgiven, there's still a sow and reap law. There's still negative ramifications. That why, that's why Paul said, he said, all things, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. Therefore, I will not be governed by any. Now, there are still negative ramifications. I'm free to drink, but I'm not free to get drunk. I'm free to drink. I don't drink personally because I don't want to have that line between drunkenness and drinking because the Bible says no drunkard will enter the kingdom of heaven. So I just stay away from it totally. How many of you, unfortunately, could say I made some stupid mistakes when I was drunk before I was saved? And one of those mistakes is probably sitting right next to you this, eve, this morning, probably. <laughs> yes. You went out to the bar and got McGill Gorilla, man. And you said, I do. And when you said, I do, you've done, done. <laughs> so I can drink. I'm free. I can go into a bar if I have a reason to go in. I think we should start our bar ministry again. That was a fruitful ministry. If you see an old friend in the bar and you want to go in and talk to him, if you go into the bar for the right reason, you can go in. You just have to watch your reasoning. I can go get a massage today, though, although I tell you guys, you better be careful, man. I'd be careful where I went if I like to do those kind of things. You're free. The Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not get a massage, but I would be careful. Dance. I can go to the dance hall. I can go dance. But if that girl with a short skirt on keeps showing up every week, I'm probably going to start staying away. Uh, you know, it's okay to speed. I believe as long as you don't look at your speedometer, it's just not a sin. <laughs> I just don't look. That way my conscience doesn't bother me. I can watch TV movies with cussing as long as Debbie's not in the room. That offends her. I told somebody the day again, and I told you before, I'll never forget this funny occasion. We were on our way to Israel. I was leading like 100 people to Israel. And so I'm sitting there, and I have this regiment that I do. Okay, I'm going to talk for two hours, then I'm going to watch two movies, then I'm going to take an ambient and fall to sleep, then I'm going to wake up and read two chapters of the Bible, and I'll be there. I got it all figured. So I'm looking through the movie things, and I thought, that movie looks good, but 
What was any bad parts in it? There's a preview. I'll hit a preview. And the preview got just the place where a lady's taking off her pants, getting into bed, and the intercom came on. This is your pilot. And it froze on the screen. <laughs> this is your pilot, and I wanted you to know, if you look out on the left side of the airplane right now, would you just shut up? Now, I don't know what people are walking them down. There's this girl taking off her pants, getting into bed, and it's on my screen. I'm, I'm trying to grab the cover of the lady next to me who's asleep to put over it. <laughs> Embarrassing. Three things keep in mind when it comes to amoral issues. Three questions you need to ask yourself. Number one, will this thing hurt my fellowship with God? If it, if it does, I won't do it. Number two, stumbling blocks, will it be a stumbling block to young believers? If it's going to be a stumbling block, like I can't watch a movie with any cussing in it, no matter if it's a war movie or whatever, that's a stumbling block to my wife. Number three, does it have the appearance of evil? I got this roommate, and it's, it's a friend of mine. She's a woman, and I'm a guy, but she's a friend of mine. And there's nothing going on, but it has the appearance of evil. You shouldn't do it. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 30, 31 in the Message Bible. 10, 31, 33. If I eat what is served to me, grateful to God for what is on the table, how can I worry about what someone else will say? I thank God for it, and he blessed it. So eat your meals heartily, not worrying about what others say about you. You're eating to God's glory. After all, you're not pleasing them. As a matter of fact, do everything that way, heartily and freely to God's glory. I got more to say, but I'm already eight minutes over. Am I okay? I'm sorry. I just come up here. When I get in the pulpit, I'm loaded. I'm loaded, man. I'm loaded for bear. I read so much stuff that excites me during the week. And I go, yes, science is catching up with God. And then I feel obligated to give you the Bible study, and I come in here with a way too much. But, you, but did you get one thing, just one thing? Just one. If you got one thing, it's worth being here, right? Pray for me as you go home. One prayer, please. Say, God, please show Pastor Ron how to be shorter in the next service. Because those people are hard to preach to. I think they've been in the bars late at night, some of them or something. They don't laugh and they don't hallelujah, they don't amen. That's a rough crowd. But of course, I tell them the same thing about you when I'm in front of them. Love you guys. Sorry I talked so long. I really do. I had a goal, a goal a year ago to preach for 35 minutes, and I just can't get it done. Is that okay, though? I'm surely excited about what I teach. I'm just so excited. Father God, I delivered what was on my heart. I dumped it all out. We're all to be dump trucks. I got filled. I dumped it out. Now I got to go back and get filled again this week. I got to get filled for Vegas this week. Then I'll go dump there, and I'll go get filled again. You won't get filled if you don't dump. Father God, thank you. Anybody here is not born again today, it's real easy. There's people up here to pray for you. All you have to do, I did it in my bathroom one day. I went in and said, God, I don't even know if I believe in you. But if you're real, please fill me with your spirit. And I will gladly give my life to you. And he did. I told everybody after that day, I'm born again now. I've been saved. Love you to death. See you here, there, in the air. God bless.